0: Hello and welcome to the Folklore Scotland podcast. Every two weeks we're going to be bringing you the best of Scottish folklore.
1: Folklore Scotland is a charity founded to protect and preserve Scottish folklore through taking a multimedia approach to compiling and sharing folktales, telling the tales of the past with the technology of today. Hi, I'm Kathy, And we're going to be looking at the Kaliak today, um, particularly the story of, well, how she features in the story of Angus and Breed, which is kind of, it's kind of like the creation, it's a mix of a creation myth for Scotland and the changing seasons myth. Sometimes changing seasons with creation tacked on, but we'll get into it. Essentially, we're just going to
0: look at uh, a base canon that we've written up from several different sources and then we're going to highlight the areas where they tend to diverge and just ramble on a little bit about how that could have happened and what that might mean for the way you can analyse myths and what they represent to us culturally.
1: Yeah so we're going to be looking at um, the story of Angus and Breed or Bride or Bridget, or Breedje. We mostly call her Breed, sometimes we call her Bride. It's fun. (laughs) (laughs) They are all, to confirm, the same person, as far as we know. (laughs) One woman. (laughs) Anyway, we hope you enjoy. Long, long ago, at the beginning of time, there was nothing but vast ocean, until, riding on an icy tempest from the north, with nine hag maidens in her wake, came the Kaliach, goddess of goddesses, queen of winter. Her hair was white as frost, her skin blue, her teeth red as rust. Though she had but one eye, it was keen as an eagle's and all-seeing. From her creel she dropped great clods of clay into the ocean below and with her magical hammer she shaped them into deep valleys and high mountains, forming the Scotland we know today. She made her throne atop Ben Nevis, the tallest of the mountains, and from there ruled over her winter kingdom. The whirlpool Corrie Brecon was her cauldron, and there she would wash her blade until it turned from brown to pure white, at which point she would throw it over the mountain peaks, and sometimes over the whole of Scotland. Deep under Ben Nevis, in the bowels of the earth, the Kaliak kept Breed, the goddess of spring captive, locked away to prevent her renewing the land. With her powerful hammer, the Kaliak strode through Scotland, striking ice into the bones of the earth, thus ensuring her reign proceeded unchallenged. Meanwhile, on the west coast of Scotland, in the land of Tiernanock, Angus the ever young lay dreaming. He was a beautiful youth, full of poetry, and as warm and welcoming as the sight of the newest primroses at the cusp of spring. One night, Angus dreamt of Breed, and fell deeply in love with the maiden, and deep below Ben Nevis, Breed lay dreaming of him too. Upon awakening, Angus thought of how to free Breed from winter's grasp. Travel during the wolf month was perilous, with gales raging across the lands and waves tearing the wintry sea. Angus sought a boon of three days from the month of August to calm the winds and seas of February, thus allowing him to reach Scotland from the Green Isle. Crossing the seas on his white horse, he came safely to the edges of Ben Nevis and rescued Breed from her prison. As their eyes met, their love kindled the land, thawing the frost, softening the gales, and beginning the gentle budding of the flowers. At these signs of her defeat, the Caliac howled with displeasure, and in return took three days of the depths of coldest winter to send storms after the young lovers. Their battle covered the lands with hail and snow, but the Kaliak's power weakened with each passing day till the coming of spring could not be ignored. Casting her hammer beneath a holly bush, the Kaliak hid herself to sleep till her reign could begin again, knowing as we all do that autumn and winter will follow each spring and summer.
0: Wow! Yeah, so that's um, a really interesting story. I hadn't ever heard anything about the Kaliach before doing all the research for this podcast, obviously. Uh, but I'm just wondering, since obviously
1: it's Scottish, did you actually grow up hearing this as a child? I did not. Like, I was when I first started researching it when I was at uni. It sounded familiar, but it wasn't something I really knew about at all, and. As far as I know, it's fairly common in the highlands for people to have heard of the Kaliach. Um I'm not sure about um, this current generation, but certainly the older generation um, would have grown up on stories of it, as far as I know, from anecdotal evidence. Um, <laughs> but in the lowlands, very uncommon. Um, it's much more... I think in the lowlands you get a lot more... Anglo-Saxon influence as opposed to Celtic, and you get a lot more sort of gobliny hag figures instead of the kind of goddess part. Mm-hmm. So, shall we dive into the story?
0: Let's. So how we're thinking of doing this is basically talking through the story and just highlighting areas that the same characters diverge in the different versions of this myth that we've read over this research and just kind of compare and contrast them a little bit,
1: see if they just throw up something interesting. So the first variation that I found is right at the very beginning. Um, In one version of this story it starts off by telling us that the world is entirely made of ocean. Except there's this giant millstone, which is so heavy, it can only be turned by nine giant women. And they turn the giant millstone, and out comes clay, and one of these nine giant women is the kayak. She gathers the clay, and then she goes off, and it proceeds in a similar fashion to the story that we told. Which is just... Who are they?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's a pretty unique kind of creation myth as well bearing in mind ones that at least i am vaguely familiar with it tends to be the concept of a battle between light and dark generally and primordial chaos that forms a landmass somehow i love that in this scottish celtic version it's just we're already beginning with a watery planet and we do already have nine giant women. We're not going to bother explaining further back than this.
1: They're just you just there. have
0: to accept it from here.
1: Similar as the story we told we get to the bit where she comes to Scotland and she's throwing clay and she just just makes Scotland as the goddess of winter which is interesting.
0: Mm. I feel like
1: it definitely
0: supports the suggestion that a lot of other people have made that really she's a leftover from earlier, more pagan religions, for example. Mm-hmm. And that as a, a, a figure responsible for the creation of the land, she's been here for a very long time and we've lost a lot of the traditional stories, but we've kept that one because it's almost so ingrained mm. into the history of, of the
1: society in a cultural sense. Yeah. So I do see her I've seen a couple of times I've seen her compared to Gaia and mm. to um, a Norse I think it's Yord, a Norse earth goddess as creator goddesses but just they're so different they're they're not comparable in my mind because one of these is motherly and nurturing and about mm-hmm. fertileness and the Kaliak is all about Preventing things growing and blooming, just at all costs. (laughs) She hates it. (laughs) Yeah, her job... It's very
0: strange, actually, to give her the role of creator-goddess at all, which is actually why I thought it was a very interesting um, variation that sometimes the creation of Scotland is an accident. Just a piece of clay falls out of her basket as she's walking around. And that actually helps you reconcile the fact that, supposedly, she's this cruel wintery almost signifier of death figure (laughs) rather than the nourishing mother earth
1: type that you might be used to in an origin myth yeah you've got versions where she deliberately drops the clay and then she shapes it with the hammer and then you've got Mm. versions where she's just she's just doing her thing and it's falling out first it falls out and it forms scotland and then like it falls like a massive bit falls out and it forms ben nevis and she's just passively creating a whole country, I guess, as one does. <laughs> as one does. Uh,
0: incredibly powerful, but again, the kind of negligence that actually, I don't think you want <laughs> in a Mother Earth um, divine yeah. figure.
1: I mean, like right from the start, she picked what she was about. She would never promised to love people.
0: She's <laughs> like, if you want some kind of nourishing growth, don't come to me. I'm yeah. not here for that. <laughs> Well all right yeah. all right Kaliach, you have made your point <laughs>
1: made your point. <laughs> so then the next thing is the nine hag maidens behind her. Again we can connect them with the nine giant women. Sometimes she's on her own sometimes she's got these nine nine hagmaidens. sometimes they're just all giants and they're turning a millstone. I see some tendency to like refer to like they're all kaliaks. she is the kaliak. But they're also little baby Calix. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to make of it really. It's just another variation. Mm-hmm. Sometimes she has hag maidens, which I guess are like hag handmaidens or something, because I can't quite reconcile hag and maiden. But
0: yeah, presumably it means <sighs> as a member of her evil queen court. <laughs> yeah, uh, which. Again, I suppose if you think of her as a, as a leftover of goddess of goddesses and queen of winter, it makes sense that she would have people that defer to her and kind of vaguely serve her in a hierarchical fashion. But yeah. it's it's interesting that you might have a concept of baby kalyachs, Um and definitely <laughs> I've seen some people. Um, suggest that as a way for how so many areas of land have bits named after her all the way across the country, that maybe you actually did just have a lot of local deities called Kalia that eventually were subsumed into one figure. Mm. I guess a comparison would be said nymphs eventually just became one nymph, but... Mm. We knew that there were rivers named after them and wells that they were associated Mm. with across loads of Greece and like some areas of Turkey and things like that.
1: Yeah, definitely. The next bit is the description of her, which I love. She's hideous. She's horrifying. She is just the next next big thing on the mythological block. She's (laughs) horrible. And I love it.
0: Yeah, I don't even know what the next big thing is going the <laughs> to go back with
2: me. <laughs> Sorry, that really
0: caught me off
1: guard. Men want her fish fear her. <laughs> it's refreshing, because I was looking at, um, like, other people have kind of compared her to Norse deities of winter, like Skadi, but you read about Skadi or Skadi, again, she's described as, like... She's a mother, and she's a wife, and she's really beautiful, Mm. and she's young, and... Obviously. Like, all of these things. And I just enjoy that the creator of Scotland is allowed to be so unappealing. She's just a blue hag. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's really interesting if you look up
0: things that that people have drawn about, which obviously, it's not like that's a source from (laughs) contemporaneous times. It's interesting that sometimes you can see that someone's interpreted the blue of the skin to be just a fairly normal light blue association with freezing and winter, and other times she's just the darkest blue that you've ever seen in your
1: life. Yeah, she's she, like she's smart, smart mother. She's so. smart mother. I mean, I think there's there's some nasty things that happen with like the demonization of old women and like hmm. just. The discomfort around age, how terrifying old women are in stories sometimes, which Mm. is not very nice. But also, she's not just an old woman, she's blue and she has red teeth.
0: I mean, I haven't read anything that's implying that she's, you know, eating things that would give her red teeth, (laughs) for example. There's no vaguely vampiric undertones. She just has red teeth.
1: Yeah. There's I, no explanation. I think she's just she's just horrible. <laughs>
2: in every way. <laughs> she's just horrible.
1: Um, I mean, like you say, yeah. kind of
0: in a way, groundbreaking. You don't tend to have ugly goddesses that are sort of admittedly she's not quite good, but she's also yeah, she's very important and a key part of the
1: mythology. Yeah. You can't just disregard her. She's, she's barely... a season. Yeah, she's a, season. she's a season. She's fairly neutral. She's she has a bit of nuance to her. She has like she has moments where she's like the evil queen, and she has moments where she's crying about baby ducklings. Um. A great part of the tale. <laughs> so I think the thing that a lot of people, in my opinion, seem to have been really blinded by when looking for comparisons with other. Um, mythological figures from other cultures is purely like her gender because she gets compared to Gaia, she gets compared to Yort that I said earlier, she gets compared to Skadi, she's been compared to Artemis. But mm-hmm. if I was to compare no, if I was to compare her to anyone, it would be Thor, Odin, Hades, or Zeus. My mm-hmm. vote like, is for Hades. <laughs> <laughs> like so, we've got she carries a hammer, she causes storms she has one all-seeing eye she's an elderly figure she's a gray wanderer mm. she is a matriarch um and I feel you see it more like in like Odin like the Norse gods I feel are a bit more like they have kind of good and bad but they're a bit less I mean none of the gods are benevolent in any mythology but I don't think anyone's pretending the Norse gods are benevolent they're just Doing things.
0: (laughs) I think often as well the Norse gods, in a way, can feel almost like they're human adventurers, if you will. Like sometimes they do great, incredible things, sometimes they're just really terrible. It's much more, it's a god almost that you're supposed to connect to rather than truly revere and aspire to be like, other than obviously it's warrior culture you actually would be aspiring to just trounce your enemies. But we've, we've but moved yeah. on from that, thankfully, a little bit.
1: <laughs> but she feels a lot more like that to me, and especially as far as the role she feels, she's like she's like Zeus, is like the king slash queen of the gods, mm-hmm. ruling from a really high mountain. But as far as this story, she's basically Hades.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting that she could be compared to all of those quite convincingly. Much more so than, as we've mentioned, to Gaia and Skadi, and much more nurturing.
1: I, find it quite, I just find it quite weird that those are the comparisons that I find all the time, because I'm like, but she's nothing like them. She's a woman, and she creates stuff, and that's the end of the comparison. Mm. As far as actual um, themes and temperament and all of that, and like role that she plays in the mythology, very different in our version we have her described as having this one all-seeing eye much like odin but there are versions of this story where she loses the eye during the story in the battle with angus angus takes the eye or during one of the storms that she raises she accidentally kills a mother duck and the ducklings and that upsets her so much that she catches out her own eye
0: that does show a much softer side (laughs) of her than we've seen in the rest of this story and in a lot of the other ones that I've read. Uh, But uh, that's also very interesting because it's not like ducks are usually thought of as sacred creatures, as far as I'm aware. You didn't necessarily have to pay a really intense penalty for for accidentally killing a duck.
1: No, they're just... Very cute and she feels sad. Yep. I think it happens quite a lot in like various Kaliak stories is that she's very nice to animals, particularly wild animals, and she's just really mean to anyone who is human or vaguely human. Mm, true, yeah. She does seem to defend, I saw someone called her the protector of horned
0: beasts because she sometimes has myths where she will save deers from hunters and other particularly unfriendly things like that to humans, but things that are obviously very nice for the animal whose life she saved. Mm -hmm. Well, so actually then, segueing on from that, the reason that we have in the story is just Kaliak keeps breed because of a very traditional winter versus spring rivalry it's a classic it's just reflected in the world around us and so it crops up in a lot of myth traditions there are several versions of this that you can find online in which it states very explicitly that the calia keeps breed because she's jealous of her youth and beauty um as well as several other things that she might keep her in prison for that we'll also cover after discussing this jealousy variant. Mm -hmm. But that, to me, feels a little bit out of place to say it just so explicitly in a seasonal myth because you Mm -hmm. obviously have the implication that spring with all of the flowers and the green renewing of the earth and that is more beautiful but by having it be two women, and especially an old hag, and the personification of youth and beauty, I just find it very hard to get away from the misogynistic undertones, to yeah. be honest. I'm not really yeah. comfortable with that being the explanation that we put forward as the most obvious and the easiest, when I think a seasonal rivalry rivalry is just... Good enough. It explains
1: it. Fine. Uh, The seasonal rivalry, it's already there, and you already have an age-versus-youth dynamic going on. There is enough kind of, like, anxiety about that in life, about sort of the old being replaced by the young and, like, fearing that Mm. kind of, um... Like, fearing being irrelevant or unwanted, um and the young taking her place in all of that. There's enough of that going on that we don't have to say that the Kaliak is jealous of Bride's Beauty. And it just always struck me as weird. We're like, here she is, she's ugly, she's mean, her breath turns trees to ice. And she's really jealous of this girl um, because she wants to be pretty.
0: Yeah, it seems like it's entirely disregarding the fact that she's very powerful. She may or may not be queen of the goddesses. And I think you can fairly believably say that she's not really lacking Mm -hmm. anything that she might desire. You don't, at least from the, the myths that I've read, I don't think you get the sense that she thinks her life would be better if she was beautiful.
1: Yeah, it's just in most of the mythology that you find about her, it's not her defining characteristic that she is wanting to be pretty. Mm. Mm. Um, she just usually seems to embody her general haggishness, and there's there's like some bits that we'll get into later with like wells of youth, but um, it's more just it's all like the. It all just feels irrelevant. It's just things that she does. Like, there's no defining characteristic of her that is searching out youth and mourning her lost beauty because as far as I can tell, she's always been a hag.
0: Yeah, the implication is definitely she's actually just always had blue skin and white hair and red teeth and possibly always only had one eye. So I think that's fine.
1: So that kind of leads us into the issue of the washing of the plaid which um so in our version we said that the Kaliach washes her plaid in Kori and it's part of bringing on the winter and that's a very common story and it's thought that like Kori means cauldron of the plaid which makes an aspect like a really common aspect in a lot of the other versions interesting which is that the Kaliach is the Kaliach while she has Breed imprisoned gives her a burn plate and tells her to wash it until it's white and Breed is laboring over it and she can't get it to be white and then this guy, Father Winter, <laughs> who? <laughs> who? He just appears and he like magics it white for her and he gives her some snowdrops and tells her to like give it to the Kaliak and that freaks the Kaliak out because it means that spring is coming. So yeah we just wanted to talk about the contrast where we thought that had come from. Yeah, so at least what it
0: reads like to me is that a lot of the the jealousy of bride's beauty and then giving her almost Cinderella like treatment. So in these myths it tends to also say that the Kaliak is just incredibly mean to to breed. And just criticises her all of the time and makes her incredibly sad and gives her this impossible task. Which is actually quite a common thread in a lot Mm. of myths that their hero or heroine has to do something entirely impossible. And then another benevolent supernatural figure comes along and helps
1: them. It's slightly Rumpelstiltskin-ish. With hmm. Father Winter popping up and being like, take this to her, i fixed your problem. <laughs> Which also,
0: as a concept, I don't think we really have a Father Winter in England. Um, yeah. Or Scotland, obviously. In Scotland, that's fulfilled by the Kaliach.
1: Yeah, when I was researching it, the sort of um, most common results were it's a Russian thing to have a Father Winter or an Old Man Winter... Um, other people were like, "It's Santa Claus." Um, <laughs> wow! <laughs> so <laughs> it's just it's just a really weird thing to be there because the Kaliak does the winter thing. She does everything about winter, and I don't know why he's there. Yeah, it
0: doesn't make any sense from a storytelling perspective to have two characters who are doing the same thing in opposition to each other yeah. when you already. Very easily have Breed slash Spring versus Kaliak slash Winter. You don't need to throw in another Winter figure. Yeah. He just adds nothing to the story.
1: Yeah, he's another Winter figure who for some reason wants to help Spring.
2: Yeah. I um, mean,
1: probably because we're doing some kind of evil woman and benevolent grandfather type thing happening, but...
0: It does seem like it, but as we've as we've really kind of driven home, it doesn't make a lot of sense for Winter to be opposing the continuation of winter. Yeah. Um, sounds unwise, sounds like he's decided him and the Kaliach are enemies for absolutely no reason and not one that he's
1: willing to share. Yeah. So I would kind of I would be more tempted to say, like, the washing of the plate in Cory Brecken by the Caliac herself would be the more the older story, especially considering it's thought that's where the name comes from, and it's like a sort of explanational story of why that whirlpool is there. It's because she's stirring it to wash her plate, and it's where snow comes from kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's also a myth
0: associated, then, with that whirlpool that... um a son of a clan leader drowns there and that she's sorry about it, mm. which means that there are two myths connecting her to that whirlpool. And I think in that myth, it does mention her, her played as well. Yeah. It just feels like there's there's more threads hanging off that hook than this strange yeah. Cinderella-esque Father Winter retelling.
1: Yeah, so I would just, I would want to say that the plate in this story, well, not this story, in this, in that version, um, making Breed wash the plate. I would feel that is more likely inspired by the stories of the Kaliach washing her plate. So then, Angusog, the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's a lot going on with him, yeah. as far as how important he is in different versions and even, sort of, who he is. Just at all. It was actually
0: shockingly hard to write up this small bit of the myth and decide exactly which version of Angus we were going to try and have as our base canon, I guess, to be comparing the other versions from.
1: Yeah, so some versions are extremely strong in calling angus right from the off he is the lord of summer and he has a dream about bride then it's in marrying him that she uh, like that she becomes goddess of spring and actually gets her powers Mm. there's sometimes the implication that they're destined
0: to marry and that's why he ends up marrying her yeah but it's always that he is the powerful one and the, the lord, the prince, the divine, and she receives that upon marrying him. It never comes from her in versions where he's emphasized that I've read.
1: Yeah. So then often in like in this in the story of Brighton Angus or Breed and Angus, um, he's usually referred to Angus the Every as Angus the ever Young or Angus the Young. Um Angus Og. Which suggests he is... Sorry, we have a cat. He's <laughs> feeling left out of this podcast. Is feeling left out. She wants to contribute her thoughts about Angus. So when you, like, try to look up Angus Og on his own, what you find is that he's the Celtic god of love in Irish mythology. And that's kind of all there is on him. And then he's associated with summer and poetry and love and nice things and primroses and the Irish story that I found about him was just about he was just lying in bed yearning for a woman and he was, like, so sick with love that he nearly died. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: an inspirational myth.
1: I am now Team Angus. (laughs) So there's versions where he's the driving force, he's the summer god, he just marries bride, and, like, it's sort of, like, the want-to-marry bride almost is just what drives summer to defeat winter and then you've got versions where it's bride is the princess of summer like or the goddess of summer that's why the Kaliak imprisoned her. Angus is just a lovey-dovey guy who has a dream about her and they dream about each other and they're in love and in marrying her he becomes king of summer like it's the other way around and it's more her battle than it is his and he's just there I feel like
0: giving him the power of summer is, I feel like it very much lessens Breed's importance, um, which is kind of yeah. probably the intent, but it also just makes it feel like a very formulaic yeah. tale instead. There's an innocent young maiden who's kidnapped by an evil old maiden and our dashing wonderful prince comes <laughs> along and saves her and kills the evil woman and him and the beautiful woman get married yeah. and all is right with the world again. <laughs> I mean, okay, but the grim Fairy Tales has that about a thousand times. I yeah. think older myths tend to be a lot more nuanced and complicated than that.
1: Yeah, and especially Breed in general, St. Bridget, Bridget, Mm -hmm. is a hugely popular figure and Angusog is, kind of, you'll have heard of him if you've, like, heard about other folklore, mythology things, but a lot of people have heard about St. Bridget, especially in Ireland, and then she's very, like, like, embedded in the language as well, like, um... I was reading that high places are named after her. Like, the words for, like, hills, like, Bray, comes from Breed. Like, her name is everywhere, in the same way the Kalyak's name is everywhere. Angus, apart from, sort of, the county which we live in. But, yeah, I have no idea if those two are connected. But, I mean, Angus is a very popular name anyway.
0: Yeah, which... I suppose it being such a popular name could also help explain why it's less visible in a way. It's easier to be replaced or ignored or lost, whatever, because it's less precious. Yeah. But it's like you say, if Breed Bride, Bridget, if she's such an important figure from fairly old mythology, then I think it makes a lot more sense since versions exist where she and the Kaliak are each other's primary antagonists anyway, that retelling, to me, makes a lot more sense than ones where Breed is almost irrelevant when we have a lot more backing her up as a figure of importance to this mythological culture than Angus.
1: Yeah. I do feel like Angus is sort of the point where the Irish and Scottish lines get blurred a lot in this myth. Mm. You know, Angus, like, comes from Tiernanog, and he comes from the West, and it's possible that since it's kind of a common name, it was possible, like, I was thinking it's possible that there might have originally been an Angus in this story who was just an Angus, and then people heard about Angus Og from Ireland, and they were like, oh, same Angus, same guy, (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. fine. They're sort of similar. Um, yeah, it'll do, it's possible the two um, got conflated. So I think the next thing we wanted to talk about is um, just how delightful it is that Angus borrows um, days from from August to bring into February, <laughs> and then the Caliac does that from winter. It's mm-hmm. lovely. I think my favourite
0: thing about when something like this happens in mythology and folklore is that there's never any explanation of how on <laughs> yeah. earth he went about doing that is it. august a figure that he can actually talk to is he magical did he make friends with someone who had the power to do this did he go back to father winter who maybe is more valid <laughs> than we believed he was <laughs> we don't know we'll never know but he borrowed three days, that's the main thing. We're going to brush past this feat of incredible power <laughs> and yeah. true magic. This is going to be a side note I mean, and we... a plot convenient <laughs> thing.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> He'll just rearrange the year however
2: he yeah. wants.
0: <laughs> he will just bend time yeah. so that he can go and rescue a lady. Well, do you know what, Angus? I like it.
1: <laughs> Keep
0: up with the good work, my yeah. friend.
1: I mean, they said he had a really sweet voice, so he probably <laughs> just, like, sweet talked the months, and they were like, oh, okay, for you. <laughs> like, oh, you're a charmer. <laughs> Go on. Um,
0: I just love February being wolf month. Yeah, fun. Lovely. Again, no explanation. I think I saw somewhere that, apparently, it was when the wolves were most dangerous. I have no idea mm. why they would decide February to be the time that they would attack people most.
1: I guess it would be because they're hungriest, maybe. Presumably.
0: That would make sense, but I have to admit, I'm more amused by the idea of the Wolf Committee being like, we'll centre our attacks in one year (laughs) of the month. (laughs) For absolutely no reason to just
1: get a cool name. (laughs) Yeah. So we have kind of... We have that, um, the boring of three days, it's kind of maybe a reason that sometimes you get a cold snap at the start of February um, or a warm snap and then it goes cold again. Um, and then we have a bit which I think you have researched.
0: Yeah, so that is actually referenced in some traditions that is related to this concept that's talking about how if the first of February is a grey and wintry day. Then the winter will be shorter that year because the idea is that the Kaliak is sleeping. Like maybe these are some of the days that Angus I don't know didn't borrow that year. There's no explanation of the mechanics of this. I'm, I'm doing my best here. Um, but if that day is bright and warm and shockingly seems like it comes from August, then that means the Kaliak can be out gathering firewood, and these three days are going to end, and there's going to be another second mini-winter, because she's, she's prepared, she's able to keep herself warm and freeze the rest of us. And from the perspective that myths are a kind of way to explain the world around us and have that interesting power to ancient societies and cultures that would help them interact with the world around them, it's very interesting, it's a fun way of explaining how you can have such mild days. Um, But like I mentioned, there's really no explanation of the mechanic, or the history, or exactly the link.
2: Mm. So
0: it's just a a fun tradition that people
1: apparently had. So we have um, their love, Melting Frost, which is nice. (laughs) A lovely mental image. Adore it. Um, So in some versions, we have the Fairy Queen, unnamed. (laughs) Uh... Marrying Bride and Angus, which mm-hmm. cool. Okay, okay, okay. Um, um <laughs>
0: she very much just steps out from behind a bush, I think, literally, and marries them, and then leaves again. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's kind of it's a weird thing because if we've got a cross crossover into Irish mythology, a lot like a lot of the figures from Irish mythology are they belong to the Tuatha Dé which are the fairy folk, basically. Um, and they live on Tirnanog, which is the land of youth, with like Avalon, it's where the fairies live. So we kind of have Angus, who's sort of meant to be one of these people. He's literally come from Tirnanog. Mm. And then we have this random fairy queen, who seems like she is not connected to the Kaliak. She's not connected to Bride or Breed. So it's like, the Kaliak and Breed, oh, but they're different, they're not. Fairies are separate from them. They're not all part of one spiritual group of, like, mm. people. Like, yeah. she's just there. And then in some versions, after she marries them, she, like, essentially gives Breed, like, all of her powers. She gives Breed the powers of spring and the cornucopia and that kind of thing. Again, weird. Who is this woman? Why isn't she the Kaliak's mortal enemy? I. <laughs>
0: How does she... Decide that Breed is worthy of these powers. Is she just going out and giving this to whoever she met first on that day? Was that her plan?
1: In so many other stories, the Fairy Queen is not a good Mm. person. She's an incredibly dangerous figure that you want to avoid. Yeah, she's very, like, at best, she's kind of grey and she might be nice Mm. to you sometimes. At worst, she's just selling your soul to the devil. Yeah, at worst, she'll keep you underground
0: for however many hundreds of years until she can get bored and let you leave, and you'll find everyone that you ever knew is dead, <laughs> and then your tale will end.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you, Very Queen. Thank you. I feel like British folklore and Scottish folklore tends to, especially like the later it is, because this is... Supposedly the Kaliak stuff is 3,000 years old. Mm. The later it gets, the more it seems like every story we have, we're just interacting with, like, the Fairy Queen and fairies and Wapiti Sturi and here's the Scottish Rumpelstiltskin. (laughs) Um, Okay. um, I've never heard that name before. (laughs) That caught me so off guard. (laughs) Whereas they still have stories where they've got gods happening. Mm. And we seem to very quickly move away from that and just go to fairies. Moving on from that, I just wanted to talk about all the variations, about what the Caliac does uh, when it's not winter. So we have, um... The kind of first and easiest to explain is just that this battle with Angus and Breed is a yearly thing. It's just happening all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just the deal. Um... Yeah, which just makes it a very simple,
0: kind of explanatory seasonal myth story, yeah.
1: and they just—that's just the cycle that they go through.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then you've got the Kaliach throws her hammer under the holly bush every year, and that's why grass doesn't grow underneath holly trees. So she throws down her hammer, and then she becomes she becomes a stone, and the stone is always kind of moist because it's alive um and she's just a stone for the whole year and then she unpetrifies uh when kind of ha- Halloween when it's time for it to be winter again um and then we have the one where she the end of winter she drinks from the well of youth becomes a young woman and sort of ages throughout the year and her kind of life cycle represents mm-hmm. the year and ages as a as a side note incredibly rapidly just
0: to make sure she can be a hag and appropriately scary in time to begin her reign again at halloween (laughs) so she has to go through what
1: maybe maybe 60 years in six months it's a lot of aging yeah and then in that kind of similar vein we then have um sort of common thing which is that Breed and the Kaliak are just two sides of one goddess. They're entirely one and the same. The Kaliak drinks from the well of youth. She becomes Breed. She is Breed. She ages. She becomes the Kaliak during winter. That ending, it's a lot easier to, to draw parallels to sort of general themes with mm-hmm. the maiden, the mother and the crone. Uh, Woman's life cycle equals cycle of year, often cycle of the moon, with the new moon being the maiden, the full moon being the mother with pregnant belly and um, the waning moon being the crone. It kind of ties into that and it is um, it is a much older kind of belief because there's a general theory that um, most cultures started out quite matriarchal and then they like moved over to the patriarchal, they went from moon worship to sun worship and that theory in particular has been spoken about, about the Kaliak, how she's kind of a relic Mm. of that matriarchal time, Um, which is why she is really quite different to the sort of geographically closest deities (laughs) around Mm. her.
0: Very different, and also probably able to explain how we still have the leftover titles of goddess of goddesses.
1: Yes. Because... It is quite, that that is the sad thing, is that she's goddess of goddesses, but who are these other goddesses? We don't get to know. Mm -hmm. We know really
0: nothing else about the pantheon that she belonged to. Yeah. We know very little about her, to be honest. In a lot of tellings, it's called Bride and Angus, so she doesn't even get top
1: billing in the longest myth in which she features. Yeah, and a lot of versions have the, the part where she sort of creates the country (laughs) just gone it's not important Mm -hmm. we only care about bride and angus now
0: yeah she ends up being reduced almost to just a a, just a traditional evil hag that's kicking around the country and just
1: causing havoc by kidnapping young women for no good reason there's kind of in the north of england they have a kind of bogeyman figure called black Annis, who's a crone that lives in a particular house she kidnaps children she has blue skin, one eye, red teeth. She's skinny, she's got white hair. It's the Kaliach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I do really like I think I've mentioned it already, the implication that there there were a lot of Kaliach, so maybe more fairly there were a lot of myths about her that maybe have actually been localized. As time has gone on, rather than the other way round. And we've broken down one big mother goddess into small little chunks that people could remember. Because she lives on the top of that hill next door. You can see that there are storms some nights. And that's just always been the case. Yeah. She's throwing her cloak down. It's snowy.
1: Yeah. But it can be a really difficult thing to research. Because... At one point it seems to it seems that Kaliach just meant her and it meant her or goddesses like her. Um, but now it's just Gallic for old woman and Gallic for girl is Kalak, which is, which is very similar. So mm-hmm. it's really hard when you're researching it to know if the story is really talking about the Kaliach or if it's talking about an old woman. And it was hard Just even to compare
0: versions of this same tale, because as we've shown you throughout this whole analysis, there are so many variants. Yeah. And a lot of people, when they're telling these variants or uploading them online, they tend to reference the same sources. Very often, it's um, this guy called Mackenzie, whose book was published in like 1917 and his does have father winter but not very wing and there's a suggestion that he just wrote that up from several different oral traditions and maybe that's why it does feel a bit like a mishmash
2: yeah. but we
0: just because it was oral tradition we don't have earlier
1: written sources that are that easy to find yeah basically two things we can be certain is that the Kaliak exist existed as a folk figure, and so did breed. That's what we know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that that much we can definitely say <laughs> with a hundred percent security. I get that. Actually, is about the only thing everybody agrees on.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Kaliak is associated with winter. That's yeah, that's always a given. So we
1: yeah. know three things about her. Mm.
0: That's it. <laughs> and actually, one of those is the existence of bride, so that doesn't even count.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> so I mean, I think that would be a good place to wrap up. We've told you what we know, and that's that the Calia is a folk figure. <laughs> <laughs> She's a folk figure. We personally are in favour. We're in favour. She's a very interesting woman. We have no choice but to worship our winter queen. I don't say that out of fear.
0: The Folklore Scotland podcast is brought to you by Folklore Scotland, the charity that seeks
1: to tell the tales of the past with the technology of today you can visit our website at www.folklorescotland.com. If you're keen to become a voluntary contributor
0: or would like to get in touch, send us an email at info You can also find all of our social media links and a complete list of sources for today's topics in the show notes. Your hosts today were Rosie and Cathy, and many thanks to Taylor and Joanne for their research and story writing. Many thanks also to Rosie for recording this week's music and Lindley Barba for providing artwork. You can find Lindley's website in the show notes as well. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.